Hey everyone, welcome to the Divorce and Religion podcast. I have a very exciting guest for you today, but I'm not going to tell you who she is until I first remind you of a couple things. Subscribe to the Conference on Religious Trauma YouTube channel and hit that bell so that you can find out whenever we're going to be having new episodes of this show, the Divorce and Religion podcast. You can also access the audio only version uh, using your favorite podcast software. Finally, consider becoming a patron on Patreon to keep the podcast coming. I will greatly appreciate that. Patrons get access to patron-only bonus content from each episode, and the link is in the show notes. You can also support the podcast for free by hitting the like button on YouTube or rating us on your favorite podcast software. Wow. Okay. Now that we got that out of the way, the fun can begin. My guest today is Jillian Aurora. Jillian is a self-worth group facilitator and who was also a silent sufferer of domestic abuse and religious trauma. Today, Jillian identifies as an atheopagan. I'm very interested to hear more about that. And so welcome. Hi, Jillian. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about what you're starting. Me too. It's a lot, but boy, it's good. It's so interesting to be able to speak with other people who have experienced religious trauma in their in their life uh, and kind of finding out um, what their religious background was and why they left. Those are kind of the, the first questions to get us um, started today. What was your background? How long were you in it? And what prompted you to leave? Yeah, so I have uh, actually a, an interesting journey. I guess we all do, but uh, mine has lots of extremes. Um, I actually grew up in a home that was very Christian, but also um, initially I just I had some drug addiction. My father was a meth addict, um, and there was some domestic violence in my home. It was pretty mm-hmm. shaky at first. Wow. Um, so I had that extreme. And then once my mom divorced around age six, then she remarried or I was around age six when she divorced. (laughs) She wasn't six. (laughs) Right. That's a different show. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So she then pretty quickly got involved in another marriage and I got three new siblings. So I jumped from, uh, having one sister to having four siblings and then a foster sibling on top of that very quickly. Um, And they dove heavily into evangelical Christianity. Um, Within the first year of their marriage, we were all homeschooled um, and we became very, very radical. Mm. Um, I wore only dresses. Um, I did not have a huge priority placed on my education. The the priority was really on um, being a good wife um, and domestic skills. I was very good at canning and sewing and gardening and mm-hmm. all the things that, you know, a good woman does. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had, actually, this is very bizarre. Uh, we were not Jewish, but I had a bat mitzvah at 12 oh, yes. years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got my purity ring that so many girls got around that wow. time. And that symbolized the... Um, my ownership or my father's ownership of me that yes. went to my future husband wow. at point uh, was a symbol of submission to his leadership and his headship. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I had a, a lot of uh, radical religion and sexism blended all up in there. Indoctrination. A lot of indoctrination, yes. Mm-hmm. And being the oldest of six, I feel like I got a huge uh, dose of that, big brunt of mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. indoctrination. And then I ended up going to Pensacola Christian College, which mm-hmm. is the sister school to Bob Jones University. Oh, boy. Um, the fun just keeps coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Uh, yeah. 
And uh, actually, I have to say, going to uh, Pensacola Christian College was a freeing experience for me in a lot of ways because I got some social freedom that I had never experienced before. Mm -hmm. I was able to create my own friendships and peer groups that I had never really had access to, um, even though we were kind of all a bunch of uh, weirdo homeschoolers. uh, (laughs) It was a good way for me to pace. Yeah. and then I transferred to Liberty University, which oh, is wow. Allwell's school. And I mm-hmm. graduated from, from Liberty University. Um, so, and it's interesting, the small acts of independence and, quote, rebellion during mm-hmm. that phase, because uh, going to Liberty was a rebellious act. Um, and going uh, to get my my bachelor's in criminal justice, which was not a feminine art, right. uh, was also an act of independence and rebellion. So it's funny that even though um, I look at those things today and, and they're really radically uh, conservative and Christian, um, for me, they were actually acts of um, defiance and freedom. So wow. um, there's so much perspective um, and nuance in this journey. But there's a, there's a summary that's a really fast summary of my uh, life journey. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was, <laughs> that was really something. I'm wondering, how did that impact your relationship with your mom and your siblings? How, how did that all play out? Um, it was rocky. Uh, I don't know any of us that really go through that super smoothly. Um, I was ostracized from my family for a while. Uh, I remember coming back for summer breaks and I made it one summer break living at home. (laughs) Um, But I remember I came home. I think I was, I was wearing like a a black shirt with jean pants, which was like um, a special thing because we couldn't wear jeans at Pensacola. So Mm. on break, everybody would break out the jeans. And so I came home with jeans and a black shirt and kind of a lacy overshirt. And I remember my dad being shocked and saying, you're dressing like a whore. (gasps) (laughs) Wow. And I just, yeah. And I was uh, finally exposed to music. It was my first experience being exposed to pop music, even though we weren't allowed to listen to it there. We'd listen to it really quietly on the radio in our home because we could get tired. Okay. So there was a little bit of rebellion going on, even at the Christian uh, school with young people just pushing that envelope and really wanting to taste more of the reality um, that's out there. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I had a roommate, uh, my first roommate, uh, her name was Jem, and she was from the Bronx. And I remember uh, she she had just so much sass that I admired. (laughs) I can see it already. It's a sitcom getting ready to come up. It sounds amazing. Yeah, so she um, she took one look up and down, and she, I'm wearing a jumper, right? <laughs> With like, ten, and um, she's like, "Did you get that from your grandma?" <laughs> and uh, she helped me for the rest of that semester dress myself, and she let me borrow her clothes. And um, wow. even though there was a very strict dress code, she was uh, definitely a lot more hip than I was, mm-hmm. and. Um, that really got me started along a journey of self-discovery and learning, you know, what styles I wanted to have. And, you know, just really small steps that probably a lot of us never acknowledge um, because we didn't need to. But for me, every single one of those things was a big milestone. Yes, because it sounds like until that point, you basically existed as an extension of your mother for an extension of your parents. So there wasn't autonomy that was encouraged in any way um, for you to find out your own likes and dislikes. And I see that so often in my own uh, private practice with clients is that they, they don't actually even know what they like because they've never been allowed to explore it. And, and in Christian homes, we're forced to swap out curiosity for obedience. 
Curiosity is not prized. Obedience is the highly valued um, commodity in those homes. And it's just, it's so sad because it's very um, restricting and very limiting. So then at what point did you leave uh, your Christian faith? You know, honestly, that was a very long journey for me. That was not a quick uh, Band-Aid that got ripped off. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a slow deconstruction. So I went from being incredibly radical and hateful and, you know, all the, all the things that uh, I think evangelical Christians are hated for on that mm -hmm. radical extreme, um, all the way to going to college um, and having a little bit of those experiences around new friendships, um, style, fashion, music, um, like basics, basics. Yeah. Yep. I got to have really the high school experience that I never had. Um, I, uh, I stepped in the, you know, I'm trying to have like PC language here, but that's not my, <laughs> um, you know, I, I stepped in the shit. Yeah. I made mistakes that mm -hmm. typically kids get to make when they're younger and, right. and when I was older. And so I had to learn, you know, the popularity things and, and the, the social norms. I had a lot of catching up to do in those, those areas. And I did that a lot in college. Then I came back home. I came back to Idaho and I ended up um, being hired in a teen treatment facility. Oh boy. That was such a great and healing experience for me because wow. I had seen so much black and white, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's the good people and the bad people. And, you know, I was in the criminal justice system because I was going to go, you know, bring the bad people to justice and it's just so simplistic. And so being in a treatment facility, I got to see the gray. I got to see how um, the teens that I was working with they were, uh, they were offenders. They had, they had done some bad things, mm -hmm. but they also were victims. They were also, um, coming from these just horrific situations. And so I really got to see how life was not nearly as simplistic as I had been told it was. So that was really helpful in deconstructing some belief systems as well. Although throughout my whole stay there for about oh, three years, I was taking those girls to church. I was still very much in, uh, in the Christian paradigm, mm -hmm. but I was much more of the cool Christian. Oh, uh, uh, yes. Yeah. So I, I, at that point was following the red letter Christian movement, uh, Tony Campolo and mm -hmm. Jane Claiborne. Um, mm -hmm. so more of the modernized, um, uh, more liberal, um, sure. Christianity. Yeah. And, um, and then from there I ended up in some really, terrible uh, romantic relationships mm. that really brought out the codependency that I had oh, been yes. with in Christianity. And it, it was some real dark years. Um, and in that period where it was finally where I deconstructed entirely from Christianity. So it took me close to 10 years. Wow. Wow. So you were... Uh, in uh, romantic relationships with, um, I'm guessing men, I'm guessing at that time anyway, that men who claimed to be Christians as well. And there was just some unhealthy dynamics in those uh, relationships. The first one, yes. The first one we met in, in the ministry. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, that was... Um, that was still very much in that Christian bubble um, that that relationship took place. And uh, I had a lot of um, programming around unconditional love that got to yes. be um, really looked at. And that I didn't shake that for years through that relationship and um, another marriage that was a six year long um, marriage. And he was not the second person, um, the one I was married to. He was um 
never really claimed to be a Christian. So, um, and in fact, I would say he had some, some sway, some influence in, in helping me think about what was logical or not logical about Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that you really hit the nail on the head when you said that you'd kind of been primed by Christianity uh, for codependency in your relationships and uh, teaching children that they must always turn the other cheek and they must be obedient uh, and that uh, love, you know, never fails. All this, this is just such a toxic message when combined and we're teaching this to vulnerable children who have no other frame of uh, reference. And then we grow up, whether, whether um, male or female, thinking that if we are in abusive situations, we have to stay. We have to just suck it up. We must not be behaving in a more, in a Christ-like manner if we're making our partner so upset. The problem has to be with us. And that is just not necessarily reality. And it can even be dangerous. Some people don't survive being in those situations. So I'm really glad that you found your way out of the uh, religion and also of um, a difficult and even abusive marriage situation. Yeah, thank you. And I would say too, adding to that, I think Christianity teaches codependency, but I think it specifically teaches codependency to women. Sure Um, does. That hierarchy is so clearly in place. Mm -hmm. And um, even though the person that I was married to was not religious, didn't identify as religious, um, he absolutely picked up a lot of the gender norms and the hierarchy uh, belief system that really stems from the Christian belief system. Um, And and which does seem to be pervasive in our uh, society in North America, just so... Uh, yeah, patriarchal. Even even fellows uh, that have never set foot in a church or or read the Bible, it's just how this society is set up and geared. And it's I'm grateful to women like you who are helping to teach other women that it doesn't have to be that way. We don't just have to keep uh, you know taking it and taking it. We we are powerful enough to make changes ourselves in what we will accept and what we will not. Except that is so powerful. So you you went through all this, and then uh, you were in such a um, such a hard and difficult marriage for those six years. And then were you still clinging to your religious faith during that marriage? Also, yes and no. I, I had deconstructed enough at that point. I don't think I set foot in a church the entire time. I was. Um, in that marriage, I'd really deconstructed to the point that I was more clinging to some spiritual ideology. Mm-hmm. And what ultimately was the nail in the coffin for me, ironically, was Brene Brown's work. Yes, she's so wonderful. I love Brene Brown, and she was incredibly influential for me. And um, it's kind of funny because she still identifies as a Christian. Um, <sighs> So that kind of blew my mind. But what really helped me in her work was um, the idea that worthiness has no prerequisites. And so I really had to grapple with the Christian belief that you're born broken. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really choose, like, do I believe that we were born depraved and needing to be saved? Or do I believe that we were born perfect? We were born you know, without any, any need to earn our worthiness through salvation or works or anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was finally, I think in that moment that I was able to clearly say, I just don't believe in the, in the Christian, the paradigm of I'm broken. I need a savior. Um, he died for my sins. Cause I'm such a piece of crap you know that ideology finally was not necessary at what point had you started uh, rejecting the idea that the bible is a literal and infallible truth that the earth is you know was made in six days and 
talking snake and all that kind of stuff. How, because, uh, I mean, I believed that 100%. I could not allow myself to question it because it was my entire identity. So starting to pull that thread meant everything was going to unravel. So it wasn't until a, really a series of tragedies uh, hit me in the face. And then I was like, no, okay, something's wrong here. Um, but what was it for you? Like, at what point did you start questioning those things? You know, I think for me, the bulk of my deconstruction happened because of intense emotional pain. I had to look at specifically um, gender norms that were creating crazy havoc and almost cost me my life. Um, that is the pain that caused me to deconstruct. From there, um, more of those like logical pieces, they were easier for me. Um, cause I just went searching for them. I started, you know, searching for the truth on podcasts or books, or I just started digging into those things. They weren't as much of an emergency for me. Um, I couldn't deny the things that were right in front of my face, um, that were, were costing me my peace. They were costing me my safety. Um, they were costing me my well-being and um, quality of life. So it was really those things that brought me to my knees and made me question. Um, and then all of those other scientific things, I still have a blast researching them, but they're not, they're not an emergency. They're not something that like, I have to get to the bottom of this right now. Otherwise, like, <laughs> right grave. Hmm. So you did whatever things you needed to do mentally and emotionally to be able to also physically get yourself out of uh, a dangerous um, situation. And so then I wonder, uh, for viewers who are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, who are in uh, difficult um, or even abusive domestic situations what would you say to those people who are who are staying rather than leaving for whatever for whatever reason you know i would say ask all the questions ask the hard questions um i had so many assumptions that were running in my mind um, that all had to do with my belief system growing up and christianity um, once I started unraveling domestic violence and control, um, controlling relationships, once I really started digging to the bottom of that, what I found was um, violence and control starts not from anger, but from entitlement, beliefs around entitlement. And so much of this is in the patriarchal nature of Christianity. Mm -hmm. so when you're looking from both gender norms, what you find is men typically have a struggle deprogramming their entitlement because they've been told forever, you're the leader, you're the head of the house, you know, the woman submits to you. Mm -hmm. And then from a female perspective, from a woman's perspective, we um, have to deprogram the idea that someone else is entitled to us. Wow. And so for me, that journey meant reclaiming my entitlement to myself, that I felt in that marriage um, and, and in other relationships, I felt other people were entitled to my time, to my resources, my body, to my presence. I thought that I owed that to my partner because that's what I had been taught to believe. That is so, that's Christianity for women right there. Other people are entitled to you and you better serve, serve, serve. Wow. Right? Unapologetic <laughs> in my word because yes. I don't have to apologize for owning myself. I don't have to apologize for saying no to someone else accessing my time or my body or my resources or my attention. That's mine to give. And I don't have to give any reason for not giving it to someone or I don't have to give any reason for keeping it for myself. 
Boy, that is so refreshing to hear and so absolutely opposite to what females are taught um, growing up in the in the Christian church. Absolutely. So what would you say um, was the hardest part for you of divorcing religion? Mm. So much grief. Um, there's so much grief. I still talk about this a lot today because it's not it's not a one time and done thing. Um, the scar uh, scar tissue lasts a lifetime. And so for me, um, there's deconstruction on multiple fronts that I feel like have caused grief for me. That has been religion uh, for sure. I've lost family. I've lost friends. I have ostracized myself intentionally from um, my community. I live in a very conservative Christian community. They don't understand me. That's all right. Are you, are you still in Idaho? If you don't feel comfortable saying, don't say. I am. I'm in Boise, Idaho. <gasps> we need more people like you in, in Idaho. Wow, that's got to be rough. <laughs> I'm the weirdo here. That's Um, but I mean, there's other fronts too. Like, um, sometimes I don't feel very at home in the atheist community because I have also deconstructed a lot of sexism. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, I talk about the, uh, prevailing, you know, traditional family values that still persist even in the atheist community. Um, and uh, and then I also have a nuanced perspective. I'm I'm an atheopagan. Uh, yes, please tell us about that. That sounds so interesting. Okay, yeah. Um, you might um pull from Sasha Sagan's uh, book and experience. Atheopagan mm-hmm. is similar to uh, what she talks about in her book. Um, Atheopagans are a non-theistic religion, um, and they don't believe in superstition. They're a science-based, earth-honoring path. And so we celebrate things like um, the cycle of the seasons. So we still have um, celebrations around the equinoxes and solstices. And um, and we also really honor the human need for ritual, ceremony, and symbolism, Wow. Okay. And that when you're talking about uh, Sasha's book, it's uh, for small creatures such as we, I think that's the one. Yes. And I had the opportunity with uh, my friend, the godless mom to interview her on our old podcast, the godless moms. And she really did talk about the importance of uh, having ritual and celebration um, in our lives just to, to mark the seasons. We're here for such a short time. Uh, And we don't have to just let religion hog all the good hog all the good stuff when it comes to um, celebrations and and ceremonies. So it sounds like, yeah, you're you're grounded in science. You're a secular person in that um, sense, and that you also uh, open up your life to celebrate with ritual and building your own traditions for things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because I have been deconstructed now about nine years. Um, and it, there was a certain point that I reached where I realized I knew what I didn't want. I knew what I didn't believe, but there was a, a gap there. There was something that I really yearned for. What do I want to create now? What, what experience do, do I want to have in that spiritual sense, not with a, you know, divine creator or nonsense, but as a spiritual being connected to this life, this planet, all of these beings. And, Mm -hmm. and so I never thought I'd ever say that I would belong to a religion again, but atheopaganism is literally a registered religion. Um, (laughs) Okay. But, um, but I really feel like I align with the, the principles and, um, and it, it, you know, we don't worship anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really mm-hmm. important to me that it is more honoring about um, how am I going to be a responsible human being here? Yeah. Wow. I love that. I think that's just terrific. And so what has been 
what has been um, helpful for you in your stepping away from religion and building your secular identity and your secular life? So it's taken about 10, 10 years, nine or 10 years to get to where you are now, which is pretty cool. You're the empress of your own unapologetic empire, which is pretty neat. Um, what was helpful to you along the way in getting there? Um, you know, I would say the biggest thing, and, I, and I'm a nerd, I'm probably mm -hmm. not, you know, the average person that, you know, there's lots of different paths to deconstruction and rebuilding. But for me, books and podcasts um, have been the most instrumental pieces of my deconstruction. Uh, my best friends, <laughs> they've been books. Oh, nice. Um, I have been so empowered, especially by the women who have dared to write their stories, mm -hmm. who have dared to share their deconstruction journey. Um, any shout outs, any you can think of particular, either favorite podcasts or books that have made a difference for you? And I know I didn't give you any warning of this, so if you can't pick any, that's all right too. Um, I may miss some, but I do have a um, a free suggested book list in the Unapologetic Empire. So for anyone that that wants to follow along on that journey, but yeah, um, uh, there seems to be a lot of um, Mormon women, LDS women that have spoken out, and I really enjoyed learning um, about their journeys. So like Martha Beck was one of the first ones um, who spoke about her journey. Um, oh, Rebecca Muser, she wrote The Witness That Were Read. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of Escape. Uh, I can't remember if it's one of the Jessup women um but those are all in the lds vein um megan phelps roper who left mm -hmm. um the westboro baptist church yes is just phenomenal mm -hmm. um i really enjoyed educated by oh, wasn't that fantastic yeah and she is from the mormon faith as well but i resonated with a lot of her story um and she actually uh grew up really pretty close to me, just a couple hours away. <laughs> that so, and that, I think her name is Tara Westover who yes. wrote that educated. That was such a tremendous uh, book. Really, really good. And yeah, uh, it sounds like similar. There's, there are some similarities and parallels there with your own um, journey. Yeah. So those are a couple of women that I just, I really applaud their bravery and speaking out and um it's, it's very comforting to know that there's other women who have walked that path of loneliness and ostracization mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the courage to be true to themselves, despite what they were going to lose. Um, and so that, you know, I like to say courage is contagious. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's so true. And I'm so glad that that is true. Um, any favorite podcasts then or now? Who are you? Who are you listening to? Who have you been listening to? Um, I kind of bounce back and forth. I do a ton of audiobooks. So I would say like a uh, big shout out to um the great courses. I <laughs> and lecture series there, but I also listen to uh, Myth Vision. Um, I really enjoyed Derek's work and the interviews and scholars that he has on that channel. And um, and then I dug into Mormonism for a while because this is huge Mormon Terry. So I really like um, Bryce Blankenagle's work um, in uh, Naked Mormonism. Um, mm -hmm. My partner, my current partner is um, uh, previous LDS. And so that has been wow. a journey for me as well. And his family is still um, pretty, pretty active in the church. So wow. how do you guys navigate that with his family still active? Um, you know, he likes to call himself the rainbow sheep of the family. <laughs> and so it's been kind of nice. We both giggle about being the, the oddball family member. I think both of our families don't quite know what to do with us. Um, uh, so we have a little bit of camaraderie and, uh, he's just like my biggest ally and, and I hope that I provide that same sense of, you know, safety and, you know, we can kind of go mock in a corner. <laughs> 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 like, 
hard to, um, to experience the rejection and the loneliness mm-hmm. in the midst of your family. Um, but to kind of be able to giggle about it and see the humor in it is, is really healing as well. Oh boy, I'll say. And, and so you do still attend some family functions? We do. Yeah. Um, yeah. His family was recently in town and, um, and I, I love uh, his sisters. He comes from a big Mormon family. He is, uh, one of seven mm. and, uh, and yeah, I think everybody is friendly. They are mm-hmm. definitely a little standoffish. They don't really want to hear about my work. Um, for mm-hmm. sure. And mm-hmm. I would say that my family is the same and I've experienced probably more, more rejection than he has overall. Um, you know, I still have a relationship with my mom, but my adopted dad no longer speaks to me. He was, uh, too offended, um, by, uh, my rejection of patriarchy. <laughs> wow. Wow. What about, um, siblings, your siblings? Um, so I have an interesting, uh, sibling landscape. Um, I have one brother who's in the military and he's deconstructed as well. And we have some fantastic conversations, but I have um, four siblings that were all um, uh, some form of disability. So I have one brother who actually passed away. He was autistic and he died in a hiking accident when he was 18. Um, And then the other three, remaining. Uh, I have one biological sister with Down syndrome. My foster brother had Down syndrome. And um, I have another sister who uh, has schizoaffective disorder and lives in a group home. So, I mean, we're kind of, um, it's just a really unique family situation. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, definitely is. And yeah, I wonder, um, you know, if that played a role at all in your mom really turning hardcore um, to Jesus, you know, when she's when the family situation was obviously uh, stressful. That's a really hard situation to um, to live with. It was high need for sure. Yeah, I view my mom to like, I guess anybody that I grew up with, I don't hold any resentment or disdain for the Christians. Mm -hmm. I don't like the ideology and I hold no respect for the ideology, but the people who believed and still believe in the Christian ideology, I kind of see them as tragic victims. Like they were, they are victims the same way I was Mm -hmm. a victim. Um, of that ideology and and it's just as abusive to them now as it was to me then mm-hmm. and you know i i feel sad that some of these people will never break free mm-hmm. yeah that's that's it and i find for myself um it can be helpful when i'm speaking with people who remain deeply entrenched in their religious uh, beliefs uh, or their conspiratorial beliefs with whatever they happen to be. Um, Just remembering essentially that that they are under the influence. They're under the influence of whatever that belief system is. And so they may be behaving in ways or saying things that are, you know, quite offensive to those outside the belief system. And, and it's likely that if they hadn't been so influenced, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be that way. Um, and I think some folks might find it really encouraging the fact that you do still have a relationship of sorts with your family and with your partner's um, family. It's, we don't, we don't all necessarily have to cut all those ties. For some of us, if our mental health is suffering, yes, we do have to erect very firm boundaries. And sometimes that means um, really not having ongoing communication, at least for a time. But it doesn't have to be that way for everybody. Like you mentioned, everybody's journey is unique. Everybody's uh, deconstruction or deconversion story is also unique. Um, So yeah, I like that freedom. It's also very fluid. I mean, I did go years with being essentially not no contact with my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I can't say that that will never happen again. I, I don't know. I, I know that I do hold some strong boundaries and I won't hold space for anyone who uh, is dishonoring and disrespectful to me, um, including my immediate family. And um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't make exemption, exceptions or pull punches for her. Um, and so I don't at all want to discourage anybody from making those, you know, setting those boundaries and, and, you know, being self-respectful. Um, but I also think in a way I've been able to be a catalyst for a few people where I've yeah. set boundaries unapologetically and not mm-hmm. been willing to, um, to compromise with them. And eventually my mom came around and said, I don't want to live my life without having any contact with you. And so nice. I think sometimes that's an important catalyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's that's fantastic. And that's where um, our own radical acceptance of reality is is really uh, important. It's we spent years stuck in a fantasy, in religious uh, fantasy. Um, and so now we've taking those goggles off or those glasses that would color all our perceptions and we're seeing things clearly and that uh, allows us to make decisions based in reality and when we see that we you know we're at the table and respect is no longer being served guess what we're going to leave the table and we have the power and the authority to do that in our own lives and we don't have to be a jerk about it we can do it respectfully uh, and kindly even and then that puts the other person in a position where they also are oh this is an interesting thing that's that's happened how am i going to deal with this why did she do that and it can spur on just just what you've said some changes in the relationship some positive changes yeah i think there's far more respect of boundaries and i think that's you know partially that's just the growing up process you know um Parents don't treat you like an adult sometimes until you stop allowing them to treat you like a child and you set boundaries and say, respectfully, mm-hmm. this is um, this is what will be tolerated and what won't be. And if we can't play by those rules, then I just won't be around. Oh, yes. And I tell my clients frequently, once we reach the age of majority, once we reach adulthood, our parents remain in our lives by invitation only. And we are allowed to rescind or revoke that invitation um, at any time if there is not respect being served. And and people who grew up in Christian homes especially find that really troubling. And of course, in the patriarchy. And so you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, some fathers and mothers aren't, uh, you know, they're not worthy because they are, they are unhealthy. They are being unhealthy with you. So they don't <clears throat> deserve to still have access to you, not in that unhealthy state. And that's one of the bigger things that I, uh, I really had to examine and deconstruct uh, was the idea of unconditional love requiring my presence And so, you know, I still believe in unconditional love, but I do believe I can love someone without giving them my presence. I can love someone from across the room (laughs) or across the planet. (laughs) Yes. Does not require me to give access to myself. Mm -hmm. Yes. And sometimes love does look like um, setting boundaries. Absolutely. And, And it always looks like being honest. Yes, with the other person. So even though that can that can make us um, uncomfortable, that's for sure. Um, okay, this actually uh, ends the the free portion of the podcast. Uh, for those of you who are um, Patreon supporters, you're going to get some of the bonus content that we are about to do. Oh, you know what? One more thing, actually, before we go there. Uh, please, uh, in a couple of minutes, tell us what's the most important work that you are working on or the resources that you have that you're offering for other people who are interested in growth. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so I run a free support group for women called the Unapologetic Empire, where good girls go to die. <laughs> and, uh, this is for women who struggle with people pleasing, self betrayal, and codependency. And uh, so a lot of us are dealing with religious trauma or relationship trauma. Um, some some of us have been many years. Uh, along our recovery journey. Some of us are just starting out, but it's it's a support group where we can encourage each other, hold each other accountable. We have five meetings a week. We have five different facilitators and we're all virtual. So women join us from literally all over the world. We have um, a lot of different free resources like written uh, resources, safety resources. So um yeah come join us there it is completely free uh fully funded by donations nice. and so that's my biggest project biggest work right now i also host other workshops and um and courses that are they're not free work but they are um, deep dives into uh, how do you have a, a partnership after right after you're coming from a hierarchy model of relationships. Um, how do you leave a toxic relationship um, and maintain your safety and deconstruct all of the crap in your brain? <laughs> wow. Back and telling you that you're, you know, you need to be a good girl. You need to, you know, be the, the good person, the better person, all the things that keep us, you know, going, going back. Um, and then I also have a course on the historical context of um, uh, hierarchy relationships and uh, female suppression. So Very interesting. Those sound like fantastic resources. Okay. So, and there will be also links in the show notes for everyone to find out uh, more about what you offer. And I just need to... Uh, say a couple of things and you stay here with me jillian because i'm i just have another question for you um thanks everyone for listening to the divorcing religion podcast in the coming weeks we have more exciting guests you just won't believe some of the folks that we've got uh, coming on the divorcing religion podcast i want to remind you to subscribe to the conference on religious trauma youtube channel to be notified for new episodes and be sure to follow our guest Jillian and myself on social media and all of the links will be in the description okay so now uh just for a little bit of bonus content you've been such a fantastic guest I've really enjoyed um chatting with you I wonder is there anything what's the most surprising thing to you about your deconversion about your life now you know if you were if you were back 15 years ago what would be do you think the most surprising to that self oh my gosh <laughs> myself 15 years ago would think i was the devil <laughs> um <laughs> seriously um man most surprising thing you know it's interesting because I think all of the judgment that I had um, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that what makes me happy today would ever make me happy then. Yeah. Um, yeah. The life today, and, and that's just the evolution of us as human beings, right? Mm -hmm. all we change our our perspectives, change and grow and um, develop. So just a, a, a wiser, more well-rounded person than I was 15 years ago. Yes. Still compassionate, still um, concerned with justice and, you know, cares about other people. But really, you have absolutely taken up residence within yourself very authentically. And you're a completely autonomous individual now you're you're living your life and you're helping other people by what you're doing i just think that's pretty exciting <laughs> that's, yeah, actually, that's that's a huge um ideological shift for me is um before it was all about selflessness right that's what i taught i got taught through christianity was to mm -hmm. be selfless always don't think about yourself think about everybody else and it is ironic that today I am unashamedly 
full of myself. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm living my own life. But ironically, I help far more people today than I ever had the capacity to then. Right. And you are offering real legitimate help rather than telling people, oh, you have to find it outside of yourself. You've got a, a higher power. You know, someone else will get you through. No, you're helping to equip them with tools that they need to help them help themselves. And that's something that I frequently tell my clients also. No one is coming to save you. You must save yourself. And you can do it. You can do it. You've survived everything in your life so far. And you're a capable adult. You can ask questions. You can reach out and get the help that you need. And you're just such a wonderful example of a woman who has made some great changes in her life. Thanks for joining me today, Jillian. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I also say you are your own hero. Um, I am my own hero. Um, I made the choices ultimately that I had a lot of great tools and I'm really grateful for the resources that were available, but nobody did the work but me. And um, that's true of all of us. Yeah. And I think that's such an empowering um, thing. Uh, one more uh, question for you. What's giving you hope today? We're, we seem to have a lot of difficulties going on. Society's shifting. There are things happening. Um, is there anything in particular that's um, giving you hope or that you see any uh, silver lining there? You know, I think I've reflected a long time on that uh, quote. I can't remember who who talks about the starfish. If you remember, you know, the um, person throwing starfish back into the ocean and somebody oh. said, why are you doing that? There's thousands and and you can't, uh, you can't possibly throw all these starfish back. And, um, and she throws another one into the ocean and says, I made a difference for that one. Mm. Oh, I love it. You know, I think that that is still true and relevant for me today. I get to see women daily who are taking courageous steps and reaping the benefits, reclaiming themselves and um, and that gives me hope. That gives me fire and passion. Um, I could do that every day forever. And um, I would feel very fulfilled at the end of my life. Hooray! What a great answer. <laughs> that was terrific. Okay. Well, thanks again, uh, Jillian. It's just been an honor having you on. And I hope we get to chat again soon. Thank you so much. I really deeply appreciate you having me here and allowing me to uh, speak my voice. Wonderful. Okay. We'll see you again soon, everyone. Thanks so much. Thank you.